Welcome back. I am here again with one of the most popular guests, Dr. David Morehouse, who I just found out today is a nascent or new Ramstein fan. And yes, that Ramstein, Duhast, that Ramstein, Zona, that that Ramstein. So anyway, I'm you know, obviously I like Ramstein too. So happy uh, coincidence this morning. So welcome back, David. How you doing? It's really good to be here. Thank you for having me back. Always a pleasure. So today we're going to do something a little bit different. We're going to answer questions that were posted on Reddit directly for Dr. Morehouse. So with that, David, I'm going to bring these questions up. There we go. All right. So let's start from the top. So we have Brave Patients 9702. And, you know, what's been said about off-world targets in a nutshell. So I'll let you quickly dispatch this one because I think we already talked about how. Yeah, the best the best thing is for the listeners uh, to go, or the viewers to go, not remote viewers, the viewers of this video, to, to just search through your archives that you have where I gave some really in-depth stories about that. There's the Chaco Canyon story. I cover a great deal of, you know, where and why and how this kind of stuff evolved. And I pose the question, you know, and, and make the statement that I don't know what the origin of those kinds of requirements were, or those kinds of target taskings were, could have been something that just Fern Gavin as a program manager was enamored of. It also could have been something that came out of DIA, CIA, but I don't know. I just know that those kinds of targets were done they were offered and there were historical files for them that just tracked what viewers working those same targets, always in the blind, but what viewers were able to perceive about those targets over the years. And so the data was being correlated mostly by firm, but it was being correlated. So we had access to those historical files for those that were interested, some weren't, but you could go to those files and you know look through them and kind of track these off-planet targets that were derived either by targeting something like Mars or the moon or some other planet, or they did things called an open search outward. And in one of your videos, I discussed that in detail, and that would be the best thing is for the, for these folks to go ahead and watch those videos and watch them all the way through and support you in doing that because you're a purveyor of information and you're putting good stuff out. And I, you know, those of us that are participating with you really appreciate it. And you're a great interviewer because you ask a question, you ask a question and just let us run. <laughs> and that's always good. Well, it depends on the answer. Sometimes, sometimes I come back, but that's true. Yeah. 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 Okay. So next question. And by the way, the two most immediate videos are already in the Reddit. You can click on. All right. So, Geo Gia Cool. Does do, or do you use bodily reactions like yawning, hiccups, pain, temperature changes, and such as information and as a form of communication while remote viewing? Yeah, I was a little perplexed about this question, frankly. And so I I, I think I would answer it in, in two pieces. One is if the question is implying some form of like coded communication between a, a monitor and a remote viewer, shall we say? If that's the question, then I can only answer that for myself. And that answer would be no. 
And why? Because the CIA and the DIA, as we were trained, we were encouraged not to use monitors once we were deemed operational. And deemed operational meant that you had gone through coordinate remote viewing training and you had demonstrated enough, demonstrated enough proficiency to now start working actual real intelligence targets and not training targets. So when you were operational, you were highly encouraged not to use a monitor. A monitor was seen as kind of a crutch. And, you know, big boys and big girls were not supposed to be using that crutch. It was one of the parts where the work being done in support of the intelligence community kind of kind of diverted from some of the effort that was going on at Stanford Research Institute because they really liked to do monitored sessions where they had somebody guiding somebody and mo moving them somewhere. But in the intel community, monitors were seen as kind of potentially influencing the outcome of the session. And in some cases, they were seen as completely corrupting the session, session data. So uh, a, a monitor has to be very skillful. And I'm sure that the unit probably trained some skillful monitors, but a monitor could also influence and lead. And it ends up being, it's kind of, it's akin to investigator bias. And that's a, that's a no-no, both in the scientific evaluation of the accuracy of the protocols, but also in you know providing intelligence information. Now, second part of the question: If the question is you know inquiring if these bodily functions were used to like get into an altered state of consciousness or maintain an altered state of consciousness, again the answer would be no. So, if it was talking about responses in the body from a bilocation, which we talked about, I guess this would be a third part. Remember that a bilocation is not really how it sounds. A bilocation is when your biological brain begins to manifest. It begins to send signals to your body that allows your body to start to manifest the physiological indicators of what's going on in the target site. So if you have that reference, meaning if you, you know, if you know what it's like to drown, or if you know what it's like to if you know what it's like to suffocate or to be shot, or if you know what it's like to freeze, or if you know what it's like to be a heat casualty, your brain never forgets that. It, it logs that in and creates that, that neural network and that glial network that allows that to be recalled. So when, if you were as a remote viewer, detecting, decoding, and objectifying data that caused your brain to think that it is in, in, you know, in the Alps or think that it is in the desert or think that it's underwater or think something else. <clears throat> if you have that in your experience Rolodex, your brain protects you. And so it starts to send the signals to the physical body. So you begin to get these, you start manifesting physiological indicators that say, oh, you know, I'm, I'm cold, right? Or, oh, I'm, I'm underwater and I can't breathe or, or something else. But it's not an actual, it's not an actual by location, like the viewer is there. It was a, a category of data that was not ever properly, adequately described. But we have learned since then what the mechanics are of that and why it happens. So it, if the, if the person that was asking a question, I hope, any one of those three answers works, but that's 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 what I would come up with the answer for that. Okay, next question again is from Brave Patients 9702. 
Okay, so I'm wondering about psilocybin, if that has been remote viewed, and if it's like a way to another dimension. I took it once, and I felt like I was on this wave of unconditional love. I let go off all negative emotions. Then there's the 5-MeO-DMT, which is more powerful than just DMT. So I'm wondering if any of these have been remote viewed. And then Lynn Buchanan talks about working for some corporation where they are using remote viewing to remote view off-world planets and and writing a report about their society, religion, et cetera. So two questions here, focus on the first one. Yeah. Chemical enhancement of the remote viewer was never deemed useful. And I doubt seriously, if SRI International even entertained that notion. Most of that kind of human use experimentation, that all took place at in MKUltra. Now, yeah, the guy that was the head of the MKUltra program was the guy that actually wrote up the statement of work for and tried to find a company that they could pay and contract to explore this human capability, which evolved into remote viewing. But... I have no knowledge of nor record of, and nobody ever talked about, you know, and I served, albeit, you know, a short period of time, only three years with people that had been there for 10 years. In other words, since the inception of the program, and if there had been any kind of human use experimentation, chemical enhancement, I would have heard about it. Same thing with, you know, MEO, DMT, same thing, same, same answer here with experimental data to share. I mean, experiential data to share. I, you know, I, I took advanced remote viewing students to Peru twice, and twice we coordinated an ayahuasca ceremony, and we did. And, it. and for those for those uninitiated, ayahuasca has has trace DMT in it, right? That's correct. <clears throat> and we did it just to add to the remote viewers' experience Rolodex. You know, those that will listen to all of the videos on 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 John's channel. <clears throat> You'll hear me mention Experience Rolodex a lot. Experience Rolodex is just building within your brain, the biological brain, a Rolodex of experiences throughout this life, whether it is how you smell, how you taste, how you touch, how you feel, all these things, you never forget any of those things. They're all layered into memory and they're all things that when you're in an altered state of consciousness, detecting, decoding, and objectifying. If you have had some experience with something that parallels what you're detecting, decoding, and objectifying, your brain, your conscious mind has very little difficulty in matching those up. If it doesn't have that experience, if there's nothing in the memory bank, shall we say, for it to relate that to, it goes to whatever it thinks is the next best option, which that often is not good because now you can you can be chasing something down a rabbit hole that doesn't really fit the target. There are analysts that can look at that and kind of understand where it happened and maybe why it happened. And the more they know about the experience of the viewer, they can, right? They can pull the pieces that are usable out of what you produce and because they understand what you've actually done. But in doing this ayahuasca in Peru twice with, with advanced remote viewers. It, it's, it was just that. It's an experience. And by definition, it's a, you know, it's a drug-induced experience. And the drug was in charge, not necessarily the individual viewer. 
Now, I know that people that are big into ayahuasca and other things, they and, and now LSD and you know psilocybin, all those things. I'm older than most of you listening to this, and I'm telling you that I have heard it all before. And all of the things that are coming out in, you know, the recent psychiatric and psychology, you know, therapeutic applications of this, I'm not, I, I'm not quibbling with any of that. But the same things were said back in the day, back in the 60s and in the 50s, the exact same things. Perhaps the research is better funded now, and perhaps it has a larger you know, st- body of study, but it's the same stuff. And it kind of comes and it goes and it comes and it goes. But none of that stuff helps you be a remote viewer. It is an experience and it's a euphoric experience. I'm sure it's a spiritual experience for people, but it is it does not enhance your ability to be a remote viewer, despite what anybody has said. I know that they will say, you know, things like, but when I took it, I was on Mars. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. You are, uh, I'm not going to quibble with that, but we're, we're talking about the ability to detect code and objectify data that's usable in a way, not experiential data not anecdotal data. We're looking for empirical data. And that just has not been proven to be capable in these drug-induced experiences. They, it just never has, which is why I trust me, if, if they found that, you know, that MDMA or ayahuasca or anything else, psilocybin, DMT, if they found that that was effective as an intelligence to enhance intelligence collection, they would have been given it to us, <laughs> you know, they would have, they would have given it to us, but they tested all that stuff. I mean, they, I mean, they nearly killed people. And, and some would say that they did kill Gottlieb did kill people in MK ultra, but it was not found to be effective for what we're talking about using the to detect and decode uh, waveform expressions of data, you know, distant in space time. Okay. Speaking of that, Gottlieb, I think there's a a Netflix documentary about that called Wormwood or something like that, which is about the LSD experiments. It was the only time I think the president of the United States settled with somebody for like the family for like $750,000. Is it a Um, documentary or is it a docudrama? I think it's it's a docudrama. I think, yeah, I think that's correct. So again, you might not have the answer to this, David, but I'm going to, I'm going to go out on a branch here. In the kind of you know avenue of non-physical experiences, where you kind of you know you have remote viewing, you have astral travel slash astral astral projection, out-of-body experiences, whatever you want to call it. Where do these sort of drug-induced experiences fit in that spectrum, if at all? Well, <clears throat> you know, every one of these things. Uh, that we're talking about become, they just fall into the list of human abilities. I and, mean, you know, it could be extrasensory perception. It's called that sometimes paranormal phenomena, spiritual phenomena, psychic phenomena. And in all of those categories, remote viewing is not a catch-all for those. Remote viewing is a specific thing that falls under those umbrella categories. So intuitionism, you know, sixth sense, presentiment, second sight, keen intuition, 
you know, vision or sightedness, clairvoyance, clairaudience, clairsentience, claircognizance, astral projection, mental projection. There are 72 other categories of either, either real or perceived or claimed human ability that are in there. And these things, you know, this idea of utilizing these chemicals, whether man-made or natural, to in, enhance one's ability to experience this world or other dimensions, it, it, is, it is a chemical driving a capacity within the brain to feel and see and be in, enhanced, not in reality, but in a chemical enhancement. And it falls in under this thing. It falls in right in there with, uh, it's just another category of perceived capabilities, right? So it's right in there with teleportation, materialization, <laughs> levitation, precognition, psychokinesis, telekinesis, right? So it's right in there. It's called a psychedelic experience. And it's been around for a very, very long time. And there are- David. These yeah. these seventy two abilities that you're talking about, where, is there like a book or a document or place you could refer people to to do more re- like follow up, follow on reading on? Not that I'm aware of. I I mean, my my list is a collection of really kind of decades of looking at this because when I was teaching remote viewing full time when I was doing it, which of course I don't do now, but when I was teaching it full time people would show up and make claim that, well, I'm a remote viewer and I'm a remote viewer because of this. And I would, I would always try to gently, you know, categorize it because you can't tell me that, you know, that you, because you've had a premonition or precognition or because you are clairvoyant that you're a remote viewer. No, you're just clairvoyant. And, and that's an ability whether it's latent or whether it is you know, fully realized or what, you know, whatever it may be, everyone has that ability. The ability to do these things, to be capable of doing this stuff, according to the research done at SRI International, was and reported to the CIA as one of the deliverables clearly stated, this is an ability inherent in every human being. So it may show up for you in lots of different ways. And that's fine. But you have to understand that because you are clairaudient or you find yourself, you know, presentiment or something like that, you can't call yourself a remote viewer. A remote viewer is not a catch-all. It's not an umbrella term. A remote viewer is a very specific set of protocols driven by a very specific set of intentions to create, to detect, decode, and objectify usable elements of data. It's not, again, I know I'm repeating myself, but it's not experiential in in focus. It'll happen. You'll experience things, but that's not what it's after. It's not for you to, you know, to have a sensation of, you know, opening a portal into another dimension and then coming back and sitting around a campfire and telling everybody about it. It's a very, very specific thing. Now, I want to say that with this caveat, one of the reasons why I did what I did to write a book and tell the story about remote viewing is that unbeknownst to the Intel community, when they were doing this, they really had no idea what was going to happen 
to people as they suddenly realized that they were that they didn't just have to believe that there was something beyond the physical but that they now knew that there was something beyond the physical and knowing is is so much more powerful than belief we we all believe something right i might believe i'm handsome but i know i'm not right so it goes through this whole process of the transformation of a human being's awareness and sense of awareness and sense of place in the world and capabilities to know that you are there is something beyond the physical you're connected to it you've always been connected to it you can't ever disconnect from it all you can do is continue to live your life and stop and not listen to it but it's there and it shows up in all sorts of different ways and those 72 things that you know I, I can bring up are different ways in which that shows up some of them are just fake like you know pyrokinesis and people just don't get it you know they'll show a youtube video of some guy you know picking up paper in his hands and it's, it bursts into flames it's like get up i mean come on it's just an ab component of chemicals there are uh, there are about four or five of those that that you can do you you mix the you mix the uh, you know the on coat the paper with that particular chemical and the chemical on your hands as soon as you go to the ab and put and connect the two it bursts into flame you can buy it as a magic trick so it's not you know i don't care whether you what you wear or anything else and then try to show the world that you're able to start a fire in your hands i promise you you are not so some of these 72 things are not real and some of them are and they're variations of how people discover this capability that's inherent in all of us remote viewing ended up being that thing where they took that realization and turned it into an intelligence collection tool and it was very powerfully used and it was very accurate and the people who participated in it some <clears throat> some all were transformed but some were transformed elegantly and some were transformed perhaps tragically and others were transformed and awakened in a way that was very confusing i think i'm probably in that category you walk away from that realizing now that there is something beyond the physical and you know it and you know you're part of it that changes how you see the world that changes how you see your role in the world it also changes how you see yourself interacting with other people including your family it presents challenges that were just never discussed and never prepared for i hope i answered that question for you but that's yeah you definitely that's what remote viewing is and i just the hair stands up on the back of my neck when people use it as an umbrella term you know it's just wrong you know, to do that you if you want to call yourself a remote viewer you need to take a remote viewing class i don't care who you take it from but you need to take a remote viewing class you need to understand coordinate remote viewing you need to understand extended remote viewing you need to understand other advanced tools that are available to you if that's what you want to do but don't just set up and say i had a lucid dream so i'm a remote viewer it's an inappropriate use of the word Next question about writing a report on <clears throat> off-world planet, you know, planets about societies, religions. 
et cetera. I, I, it's, I guess the question is if you, they're wondering if you're doing that as well, but I, I think probably to translate that question is when you were in the unit, because I doubt you're doing that now, but you know, when you were in the unit, were they kind of composing something a little bit more with, you know, with all the reports that have been generated and correlated, did they start to compile that into a larger report that was a little bit more all encompassing? I, I don't I don't actually know the answer to that, Sean, but what I can say is that in the Chaco Canyon story that I shared on one of your uh, one of your videos, that story unfolded in a in a very strange way with Ed Ed Dames, myself, and Mel Riley. And I do know that <clears throat> six months after we came back and finalized our report, and we did do sketches and we did type up reports in detail and then combine the reports and then add a boilerplate on it. And that went to Fern Gavin. And I don't know what Fern did with that. I'm assuming that he, you know, passed it on up. Maybe as just a curiosity, I don't know. Or maybe as there's a repository somewhere where people were looking for that kind of information to be tossed in there, I don't know. But I do know that six months after we completed that report, there ended up being this, this huge research measurement effort there. There were all these white refer, you know, reefer vans that came up out, out there and parked all over the place out there. And for that to happen, there had to be some involvement within, I mean, within the federal government. You because that's a that was a, I think that's a federal park. Maybe it's a state park. I, I don't really know. I should know. I should remember. There had to be some cooperation and coordination. You don't just roll up on Chaco Canyon and tell the, you know, the U.S. Forest Service Rangers, get out of the way. We're going to roll over here and, and set up and start measuring. But all especially a range, especially a ranger is the as cooperative as the one that you encountered. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But there were it was in an it was in a newspaper. And of course, when you're part of that stuff back then and you've moved on or you're that's just not your daily focus i mean it shows up and somebody shows it to you and then you may or may not capture that i wish i had those pictures i've actually looked around the internet to see if i can if i can actually find any reports about that and i've seen some other kinds of reports that they're of things that they're studying there but this was a very deliberate immediate incursion into chaco canyon with four or five of these big square reefer bands, uh, big four-wheel drive jobs that were, had big boxes with antennas and generators and, you know, air conditioning. And they were, they were measuring, they were measuring and, and monitoring what was going on there. They were not doing soil samples. I guess, yeah, I guess that's what I should say. They, they weren't doing that. They were doing other things. And I think that, Maybe the report that we produced might have triggered something like that. I don't even know who funded it, but yeah, I, I, I don't know. But it was a big deal. And there were, we were somewhat concerned about it when, when we first learned of it, Dames and Ed and I and, and Mel, as were some folks in like Gabrielle and others in the unit, because like, holy crap, you know, you go out and do that. And then look what happens. It was, we didn't realize that, you know, we were under the microscope 
about stuff like that, it meant that somebody was listening and somebody was looking at what we were producing. I hope that well, to, to be clear to folks who may have not watched the video, what you discovered in Chaco Canyon were or was a portal that oh. would open in the sky, which it wasn't just what led you to Chaco Canyon was remote viewing, but what you saw in Chaco Canyon was with in the physical it was in your, with your naked eyes. So we, we you know, experienced it because we remember we were, we were scanned, scanned twice, all three of us at the same time experienced that. And then all three of us saw the portal open and, and close. And we saw other portals open and close, but the one that we saw like, like be able to sketch and, and feel like up close and personal was the one that was directly above us as we were laying on the wall at uh, Pueblo Alto. And that was, we not, we saw it not only once, but we saw it several times and it was really interesting. It was really interesting experience. And you have to kind of rub your eyes when that first happens. Of course, we were all much younger men then. And, but you had to rub your eyes and think like, what am I seeing here? And the great thing about having three guys do it at the same time is that there was validation and there was no, nobody was like implanting the idea of what you're seeing above you is, is that it was, everybody almost simultaneously standing. I mean, did you see that? Do you see that kind of thing? And yeah, it was intriguing. It was very intriguing. But see, I'd already made my come to this transition where I knew that there was more than the physical and, and I knew that I was part of it. But I had also, I had also done a lot of off-planet targets and open search outwards. And I was, I am I am not surprised or not shocked at all by the idea that there are the, are the alien worlds and civilizations and, you know, vehicles and, you know, everything from the microscopic, you know, to, to just a, a life form that we might recognize as a reflection of ourselves and, and everything in between. So I'm not shocked by any of that. And we're surprised by any of that. If you, if you, understand the potentials for life in this universe, then you would never quibble over that. And you could never quibble over the fact that they may be so far advanced from us that they may be looking at us like a lab experiment, which, you know, I think that that could very much be so. I, I've just seen it. I mean, we were sketch, sketching it and we were describing it with the data was correlating it was, it was phenomenal to be part of something like that. So then to go out and see this portal open and close and open and close at different time intervals was intriguing and exciting to do it, but it, it certainly didn't. It's not something I looked at and, and took a second glance and went, oh, that can't be. I must be making it up. It was real for all of us to see that. And it codified for us all the experiences that we had had in looking off planet or looking at, you know, in the open search outward, trying to see what we might run into. <clears throat> okay. So next question, Lynn Buchanan has a friend that works for some organization regarding technology transfer. Apparently we are trading with some ET groups already. 
curious if you're aware of anything like that. And, you know, the bases remote viewed on Earth, which Pat Price remote viewed Lynn Buchanan and, and someone else, apparently. There are uh, lots of or several other remote viewers that <clears throat> viewed such things. Ed Dames, Mel Riley, Gabrielle Pettengale, Joe McMonagle, Skip Atwater, myself, and probably people who came after me. So again, you should watch the video on Sean's uh, channel here about the Chaco Canyon. I'm sure Sean will put that up there for you. Do I believe that humans are involved in an alien transfer, tech transfer company? No, I don't. And I, and I challenge any of my former colleagues stories that, you know, that there is a corporation that's doing this. I mean, there may be a corporation that's, that's trying to pull together individuals who can look through the event horizon, if you will. And, and, you know, but I just have, I have no qualms that remote viewers, you know, the notion that remote viewers or other individuals with recognized capabilities out of that list, that they might be working for companies to try to see, as I said, you know, through the event horizon uh, to bring back descriptions of potentials that are not yet realized. I don't, I don't think that's, that's too much of a reach. And I'll say why, because I, I have a good friend who used to be a vice president of Sony Music, and he was a remote viewing student of mine in 2001. And he freely told the story of being in Sony and that Sony's founders fielded a dedicated paranormal phenomena research lab within Sony. He wasn't sure why they did it, but my speculation was they were using it to try to see around the corner to technology, like what, what's next? I mean, you look at something like Apple and it's kind of the same thing, right? I mean, you know, Steve Jobs coming up with some of the stuff he and the design teams, some of the stuff that they came up with in the later years, this stuff was truly science fiction. And I think that People doing this work and envisioning something and then trying to use the engineering to make that happen is a reality of the application of being either a clairvoyant or clairaudient or clairsentient, right? All, all those things. And I've told you that, you know, Ely Calloway was in one of my stuff clubs. Right. And, and his, he freely admitted that how, you know, it wasn't his engineering background that gave him, you know, the vision for the club. It was the, the he dreamt it, he, in, you know, he envisioned it. And then engineering was the tool used to manifest it. The same thing with Buck Charlson at the uh, Life Sciences Foundation, now long gone. And I think Ely Calloway as well. But Buck Charlson, who owned all of these patents, kind of a self-taught, you know, multimillionaire, he explained the same thing to me that it was, you know, without any, without any training, he would envision something, had no idea where it came from, but understanding the mechanism of what happens in eight dimensional hyperspace, what happens in the holographic matrix field where the waveform expression of all things exists. Is it, is it feasible that in an altered state of consciousness where it's, whether it's taking a nap like Edison would do, or whether it's you know falling asleep at the at your dining room table like Buck Charlson did, or 
you know, or Callaway. I, I never knew how he did it. But if how any of those things, you're entering into a change in brainwave state. So you are you are going into an altered state of consciousness. And that is that place where you begin to tap into the unconscious mind, which is connected to the holographic matrix field. And that is where the waveform expression of these things are is found. And when you detect decode those things, even if you don't have an experienced Rolodex for it, these men and or women learn to objectify, which means to write it down, to sketch it, and then to keep exploring, to keep going back and keep going back and keep going back until, you know, it, it pulled itself together and they understood what it is they were trying to do. And now the tools within the physical world are applied to manifest that, to create it. So if Sony was doing that and others are doing that, I have no doubt that there are corporations out there. I can tell you that when, <clears throat> when Ed Dames and I, when SciTech belonged to Ed Dames, his two vice presidents were myself and Mel Riley. And we were circling the Beltway bandits, Ed and I, uh, with the introductions by General Retired at that time, Bert Stubblebine. And we were trying to find a corporation that would pull us in and use us with our skill set to, to enhance that corporation, whatever that corporation was doing. That just never happened. And maybe the time wasn't right. You know, the book hadn't been written. Nobody really understood what we were talking about. And maybe, frankly, a lot of them didn't believe us, even though, uh, you know, Bert Stubblebine was our bona fides in each of those meetings. But anyway, but do I think that we're doing tech transfer with aliens? Nah. Do I think that we are maybe observing alien technology as remote viewers and then throwing that out there to say, well, okay, how would we make this? This thing is supposed to do this. And then scientists get together and the tools that they have are what are used to try to make that happen, to bring it into existence. If you had, look, I mean, I don't really know the timelines of things like when iPads and, you know, uh, iPhones and other things came out. I, I mean, I should, but I don't. I think it's around 2006. Yeah. That's when it started. In 1996, if somebody told you that that was possible, right, you would have just thought that that came out of a sci-fi novel. Well, I think they even tried it. There was like the Newton, right? And it was a complete failure, right? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So somebody has to see, has to dream it. Somebody has to envision it. Somebody has to, you know, go out there in a brand, a kind of an open search outward and say, you know, what's next for humanity. And then from there, the tools are applied. And it doesn't mean that you disengage from that capability to tap into the holographic matrix field and just go back into the laboratory and work. It, it means that ideally you would go do both and you would keep doing both. And you would keep going out and coming back and feeding into the development process, things that you're envisioning. Big breakthroughs happen in just that way. But I, I cannot buy into the idea that, you know, aliens are coming down and, you know, showing up in the back door and saying, you know, here's, here's what we have. You know, I just, 
I ha- there's no empirical evidence to support something like that. There's just rumor and innuendo and, you know, excitement within maybe that community and in the community of that, and maybe some overzealous, you know, I don't know, maybe the guy asking the question is uh, kind of reading into it. Uh, I mean, uh, so, so there is something that's come out recently. There was an astronaut that died. I can't remember his name. It's Ed, Ed something or other. And in his effects, they found something that is called the Wilson memo. Now the Wilson memo, if you recall the congressional testimony earlier this year, one of the congressmen asked about it. Now the memo is alleged to state that there was a meeting between the, you know, someone who Admiral Wilson, who was the head of the DIA, who described a meeting he had when he was, Sorry, he was the director of the DIA, but uh, described a meeting he had when he was the deputy director. I think that's what number two is called with a group that was part of a special access program that, you know, they they, they weren't. We, we had a discussion in a previous episode about special access programs and yeah. how it's pretty easy to stonewall, like just give them some scraps and then get them off your your back. But he started inquiring, according to this memo. Now, Admiral Wilson denies that the memo is real, as does David or Eric Davis, who was also alleged to have been at this meeting. But they claim, or, or the, the meeting alleges that there's a group inside the, the Pentagon that has is between 400 and 800 people tied to some corporate entity. And the reason it would allegedly be tied to a corporate entity is because it's harder to execute FOIA requests on something like that is alleged to have been given extraterrestrial technology based on crash retrievals that have happened in the past or allegedly happened in the past. So you're talking Roswell, Aztec, various crashes that happened in the 50s where the the point of that organization is to reverse engineer, you know, non-human technology. Now the 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 odd thing about it though was Admiral Wilson was number two at the DIA and they denied him access to the program. They said, "Sorry, you don't you don't qualify." Yeah. So that's 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 where some of this is coming from. Now I didn't know what the provenance of that memo was until a few a few weeks ago, but the right. fact that it came from Ed I can't remember his name Mitchell. <clears throat> Edgar Mitchell. Yes, yes, that, that's the astronaut, right. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, this is another one of those things where I'd have, I'd have to see it. And I have to, I mean, I'd have to, I mean. But you never remote viewed it, which is like the genesis oh, of the question. No, I mean, we, right. I mean, it would have had no purpose for us to remote view it. And it's certainly not something that I do with my students. I mean, I do off-planet targets with my students. And of course they never know when, but, or where, but, and I also do open search outward and and open search inward. I do all kinds of things like that with my students, but I don't- Let me stop you right there. What's open search inward? inward? Open search inward is the intention of that target is not to the inside of the planet. (laughs) It is inside yourself. Okay. Uh, And so- 
the open search N word, the first time you ever experience it with, with me and my classes, you don't know it's coming. And the intention is for you to discover something important, something critical, something that should be perceived about yourself. And I have no idea what it's going to be. And I don't, my intention is for that, for that you to discover that. So when students do this target, it is always when they see the feedback, which is a feedback that's mostly, it's just, you know, musical and, and emotional, spiritual kinds of pictures and stuff like that. And then a definition of what the open search inward is. It's always very few dry eyes and people just uh, completely amazed with what happened to for them and that what they were shown. And it's really an amazing thing to see every time I do it because it just, it gives me great hope and, and great, you know, great love and great understanding to to human beings because there are all there's so much stuff bottled up in us so many things that are you know questionable like is you and I were talking earlier like what's my path now right what am I going to be doing what are, you know this kind of thing transitions in life what's next you know death divorce you know job hunt whatever it's going to be all these things and without even making that the intention of the target, the target is just to be, to, to have your, yourself show to yourself. I, sh- I guess I should say as confusing as that may be, it's for you to just go in and an altered state of consciousness. You're thinking that I'm going to, you're going to be looking at, you know, another satellite dish or something else, whatever I might give you. And all of a sudden the whole map of it changes the whole tenor, the whole sensation it all changes and it becomes something completely different for you it's confusing for people and i understand that but it all comes together for them once they see the feedback and i talk to them about it i don't ask them to share but if i will ask them if anybody would like to share and there's always like 40 percent or 50 percent of the class will want to share what happened i don't I'm not Jung and I'm not Freud, so I'm not going to interpret <laughs> the stuff for you, but I want them to just understand with the same degree of accuracy with which they were able to detect, decode, and objectify data in targets that had quantifiable attributes, right, that they could then see and, and evaluate their sessions. The open search N-word carries the same kind of power the same levels of accuracy and it answers a lot of questions for people. And once you've done it and you know that that is, that is the, that, that set of coordinates, the intention behind them is that now, you know, do I encourage people to sit down and do another CRV target on, you know, open search N word? No, you're going to do it again in an extended remote viewing, which is a much better facilitator of that experience. And you're also not going to know when you do it in extended remote viewing, you'll do it in a, in the advanced class, like, and you'll do it in a, in a master class and explorer class. But once you have that ability and understanding of what that is, now you enter into this realm of using this tool called thought incubation, 
which we're going to talk about in another video. And thought incubation becomes one aspect of how you constantly explore your life, your role in your life, what's next, how do I know what's next, et cetera. But that's, uh, there's, there are specific things that have to be done in, in order to make that happen in a productive way. And we'll talk about that. But that's what happens with that. Uh, okay. All right. That was a great, uh, I, I shouldn't say segue, but that was a great diversion, though. Wasn't expecting to, to hear about, but I think the audience will you know, enjoy learning more about. If you enjoyed this video, hit like and subscribe, and I'll see you next time.